0: What's up, everybody? Friday afternoon, morning for some of us, of course, but Friday afternoon and it's Wild Card weekend, a huge, huge matchup coming up three times the charm, I guess. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sharon and John. We've got an awesome guest we're going to bring in in just a second. Another great one from the folks at the Believe Podcast Network.
1: Yeah, I mean, you said three third times a charm. This is the Charm City, I believe we're talking about, in Baltimore. Uh, charm City versus Queen City action. But yeah, we got a great guest lined up for you, host of Believe in Ravens podcast. He played for the Ravens for a handful of years. It was even part of their playoff run in 2008 when they went to the conference championship. we got former NFL tight end Daniel Wilcox joining us. Daniel, how's it going, man?
2: Everything's great. John, Anthony, thank you guys for having me on, man. Truly appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. You are, you are decked out in the Ravens gear, and I love it. Uh, talking about this big game here, I, I want to, I, I guess, where I want to start because I, your last year with the Baltimore Ravens coincided with uh John Harbaugh's first year, right, as, as head coach. Right. Uh, with that, right. um, the Harbaughs in the region of Ohio, at least between Jim coaching the University of Michigan and mm-hmm. John being a division rival, the Harbaughs kind of have this you know, there's a lot of respect for, for them as head coaches, but there's also that little that rivalry thing going on there. Talk about what it was like playing for a guy like John Harbaugh because he is, I think, one of if not the longest tenured head coaches in the NFL behind Bill Belichick. Right. So, um, talk about playing for a guy like that because he's had so much success, won Super Bowls, and and you were a, a part of a great team of his.
2: Well, John came in like towards the end of my career, so I was on year nine when John came in. Um, I was coming off a huge injury. I had hurt my foot the year prior and I pretty much rehabbed all season long. So I went through that. I think I got hurt against Cleveland like week three of 2007 season um, Rehabbed The entire season came back and played against the Patriots that year, almost had a chance to beat the Patriots and lost. And then that followed that, that summer, they decided they was going to let um, Brian Billy go. And we didn't know who they was going to sign. Then when they signed John Harbaugh, and everybody was freaking out, like, what? They signed a special teams coordinator? <laughs> like, who does that? You know, but, you know, Steve Bashotti is like the owner of the Baltimore Ravens. is probably one of the best owners I've ever been around, mm-hmm. you know. And it was just such a pleasure being a part of the Baltimore Ravens franchise due to the owner. I feel like everything starts at the top. And because he's such a special guy, you know, it kind of trickles down to everyone underneath him. When he hired John Harbaugh, John Harbaugh had my respect instantly because I felt I had so much respect for Steve Bashotti. You know, so I remember when he first came in and um, he was a special teams guy. I made my way in the league through special teams pretty much all the way through all nine seasons. I was special teams captain in Baltimore for a couple of years, led the team in tackles until they brought in Gary Stills um, from Kansas City. And then he kind of stole my reign. I was number two. He was number one. Um, And Harbaugh, when he came in, I remember sitting down in his office, having a conversation with him and he was asking me like real questions and I kind of. I had a lot of respect for him because he did this. And this is why I don't think I ever told this story to anybody, but I remember Mm. the first meeting I had with Harbaugh one-on-one and he was actually asking me, what did I think about our coaches or whatever, you know? And I, 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 wanted to stand on the table for my coach at the time. And I think my coach is now in Denver. I think he's coaching in Denver with the Broncos, but his name is Wade Harmon and Wade was such a special coach for me. You know, I had bounced around the league my first three or four years And when I got to Baltimore, I remember Wade from working me out at Appalachian State. He literally came to App State, worked me out, trained me. And then we sat down and talked after he trained me. He said, you're the best athlete I worked out this year. Like athlete, Hmm. best tight end, not best receiver, not best running back, but the best athlete that I've worked out this year. And that stood out to me. So I was going to Baltimore as a rookie to the NFL. And then when they drafted Todd Heap first round, They already had Shannon Sharp, already had Ben Coates. Now they got Todd Heap. That put me in a really tough spot. So I ended up going to New York as an undrafted free agent. You know, but talking down, sitting down talking to John, I told him, like, Wade Harmon is the best coach I've ever had. You know, like he pretty much Mm -hmm. fired the entire coaching staff, but he kept Wade Harmon. And I still have respect for John Harbaugh to this day because he decided to to keep Wade Harmon because I felt like Wade was an integral part of why Todd Heap was as special as he was and why Daniel Wilcox ha- became and, and actually arrived, you know, in the NFL for the first time in his fourth four at the time it was my four year playing career. But by the time Harbaugh came in, I was on year nine. And um and I just felt like keeping Wade was a very integral part of our success in that tight end room. And, you know, after I left, they brought in Dixon and they brought in Dennis Pitta and yep. they brought in all those guys and they also flourished underneath Wade you know, he was the coach the entire time. And then he left and went to the Falcons, came down here to Atlanta. You know, um, I had no idea why they released him at that point. But I know Cam Cameron ended up getting fired and stuff like that, that Harbaugh brought in with him. But Harbaugh came in and he came in like a fireball. He came in like, a, you know, just really, you know, mean at times and really nice. <laughs> at times. It was really like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type stuff. Huh. You, didn't, you didn't really know what you was going to get from him. You know, so when he first came in, he was such a nice guy. He was like, man, he's such a dope guy. Saying, I think he's going to be really, really good underneath him. But he had this, for some reason, he had this inclination that we were soft. And I think this is what it was. You know, Brian Billick was a former player. You know, he played in this league. And they used to call our training camps Camp Billick because he would give us days off. You know, so the older veteran guys, he wouldn't put them through the ringer and treat them like they was rookies. He would let those guys sit out every other day. You know, so they called us Camp Billick. So when Harbaugh came in, he had this real like Barrett Bryant type thing where we we was in full pads every day. We practiced mm. three times a day, and nobody got days off, not even the older guys. You know, it was it was a really stressful, you know, strenuous things on all of our bodies. And you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen so many guys in the in the um training room. You know, just getting treatment and you know getting their feet taped and their hands and wrists and getting treatment on everything ankles, hot tub, cold tub. We was we was dying. <laughs> we was dying. <laughs> So he came in with this really Bear Bryant type, I'm going to get them tough. I'm going to toughen them up, and then we're going to be stronger in December than we were in the beginning of the season. And it's almost unheard of, you know, but I respected it. You know, I I really did. I respected it. I understood what he was trying to get done. And I felt like our defense, at the time, our defense was like number one, number two in the whole league. You Mm -hmm. know, when it came in, they had been like that for the whole five years I was in Baltimore. So I didn't feel like the defense had an issue. If anything, you need to toughen up us, the offensive guys. You know the defense. You should have gave them the whole training camp off and just worked on our asses because we ones <laughs> I feel like couldn't get it together. You know, so the one year when Steve McNair came in in two thousand and I think it was two thousand six, that yeah. was like that was like our best year. It was like one of our best seasons. I mean, we literally went almost. I mean, we had such a great year that year. I thought we was gonna win the Super Bowl, and then um, Steve got kind of tweaked. He kind of got hurt and banged up towards the end of the year, and we lost that first round, that second round playoff game to the um, the, the Colts with Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. and um that was you know that was tough but when billy got fired harbaugh came in he set the tone really really stern at first and you know as the season went on you know he kind of lightened up a little bit and we ended up going to the afc championship game that year 0809 and um lost to the Steelers. and, and it was a it was a Ravens Steelers classic <laughs> that's all i can tell you it was a freaking classic mm-hmm. you know we came in and fought hard i think willis mcgay he got knocked out that game and it was just um it was a it was a crazy crazy game i think ryan clark hit him ryan's all over the pivot podcast now And he came downhill and hit Willis in the flat and caught him like with his head turned. As soon as he turned around, hit him right in his face, and Willis was knocked unconscious. I think Ryan Clark knocked himself out of the game as well. It's crazy. I mean,
1: that was such a great answer because it also answered the question I was going to ask you just about the legacy of tight ends in this organization. Mm -hmm. It's only 25 years old, but there's already so many great names. So many. Right. So, like, what do you think has kind of instilled that? continuing through through mark andrews who's now third i believe in franchise history in in receiving yards like what has that like is it like the culture or just like the continuation of the valuation of this position
2: you know, i like to just say the Ravens just got such a great front office and player personnel department with George Kokanis and, and, and Joe Ortiz. Them guys are like masterminds when it comes to evaluating talent and finding guys, right? I would like to say that I was one of those great tight ends they found and brought in and just say we was going to be amazing and we was going to have such a great tight end lineage here. But I really honestly got to give the props to the defense, man. I I think iron sharpens iron, and we line up against some of the best defensive players in the country every single day at practice you can't help but to get better you know and I feel like we all got pushed to our limits on a day-to-day basis you know me going against Terrell Suggs and Jared Johnson every single day on the edge I never faced anybody as as dominant as them the only person that came close or that was as dominant as them is James Harrison and he was a retired he was an ex-raven himself you know that went to the Pittsburgh Steelers so I think I really do believe that they do it. They do a good job. They do a great job of evaluating talent and understanding that who can catch, who can't catch, who can run routes, who can't run routes, who got a natural ability to get open and, and create separation. And then they also go get great defensive guys so that when we have to go out there every day at practice, you know, we're hundred miles per hour, every single rep, even the walkthroughs are full speed in Baltimore. There's not, there's, there's never a break. So, I mean, it's been like that from day one, but I was, I was blessed to be able to go to Tampa Bay and go to, to the New York jets and to go to NFL Europe before I came to Baltimore. Cause I don't know if I would have been prepared already for the tempo and the speed. And uh, the way we practiced in that place, you know, if I hadn't did that. You know, Tampa definitely prepared me being down there with Derrick Brooks, Simeon Rice, Warren Sapp, you know, um, uh, Runday Barber, you know, John Lynch. You know, it was so many freaking phenomenal names on that defense, you know, and, and the Jets was a nice stepping stone, too. You know, Aaron Glenn, who's a coach now in Detroit Lions, you know, Mo Lewis, Sam Coward, Marvin Jones, who's now coaching, I think, at Florida State, if I remember correctly um it's it's so many phenomenal players john abraham sean ellis was on that first defense i've been on great defenses you know my entire career but it just goes to show you show you like how stacked each team really is in this league like this team is this league is such a phenomenal league there's so much talent you know throughout every single program and every single team like it's, it's, it's unbelievable
0: talking with daniel wilcox former baltimore ravens tight end a Super Bowl champion with those Tampa Bay Buccaneers that he just mentioned and current host of the Believe in Ravens podcast. We'll hear more about that in just a little bit. Enjoying our chat with him. We're kind of catching – we're going blast to the pass, and then we're catching up to where we are this weekend here. And I want to talk a little bit about not only your time with the Baltimore – because, look, you've talked about you know the toughness that Harbaugh instilled on all sides, uh, every phase of the of the Baltimore Ravens. You talked about James sure. Harrison being a guy who is a Raven – and then a Steeler, and then you know, in your time with the Baltimore Ravens, the Bengals started kind of turning things around, and they, they accumulated did. a lot of talent. And oh, by the way, their coach was from the Baltimore Ravens, and Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis. Yeah. I would love, I would, but here's the thing: they won games. They they would they would fare pretty well against you guys. You guys kind of had back and forth against the Ravens. True. Uh, did the Bengals did not do well against the Steelers in this time, and then of course, as we all know. They did not do well in primetime and or playoff games under Marvin Lewis. However, I just I kind of want to just get your take and your mindset as a player during that time in the AFC North when the Bengals were kind of ascending. But was there also kind of a I don't know, like, hey, if we get in their heads, they'll fold or uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm kind of curious about what you and your teammates mindset made have might have been about the Bengals at that time because they were on the rise, but they kept kind of tripping over their own feet in big games.
2: I think, I think the biggest knock on the Bengals was pretty much the same knock that we had, you know, like Carson Palmer was a great quarterback, you know, but he wasn't like an elite quarterback. He was really, really good though. He was really, he made some throws that you were like, Holy crap. Like he used to throw this, he used to throw this comeback route to Chad Johnson and all the freaking time. And he would literally throw this ball and Chad still had five yards left to run. You know, (laughs) he's still running head up the field, driving the DB down the field. He sticks his foot in the ground, he turns around. The ball is coming down like a go ball, almost like a go ball to the sidelines. And Chad turns around, boom, catches it, drop two feet right there on the sideline, and just freezes his body like a like a pole and falls out of bounds. Man. Um. And then they had T.J. Husmazala. They offense was super super explosive. They always had big playmaking abilities. I just felt like they never had enough like a, a scary defensive component you know, and since you know, we was Which is weird
0: with Marvin, right? That's weird.
2: Yeah. 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 It's really weird. Cause Marvin, exactly. It, extremely weird, man. Like you, I felt like we was never afraid to play them, but I felt like people was afraid to play us. You know, they was afraid to play Pittsburgh and AFC North at the time was probably one of the strongest, probably hands down the strongest conference in the entire NFL at that time. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear. Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check planning for what's next and how to say for it. It was somebody that was going to come out of our conference that was going to be in the Super Bowl and usually ended up being the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know. But um, you, you knew it was going to be a tough game when we played Cincy, but we was never afraid to go play Cincy. And I think we had like this black sheep type mentality where the whole league just kind of hated the Baltimore Ravens. And I don't know if it was because of Ray Lewis or if it was because of Brian Billick, you know, being arrogant as hell or Ray Lewis just being who he was, you know. And then now you got Ed Reed on that team, and it's that Miami, you know, factor. And yeah. then you go get somebody like Terrell Terrell Suggs that looked like he could have played at University of Miami, too. You know, so it's just – I don't know, man. We had such a dominant defense that we know – I remember I remember having a conversation with Ray when I first got there. He was like, Willie, all y'all got to do is score 21 points. Nobody's going to score 21 on us. Now, just think about that. If you know the other team ain't going to score 21, all you got to do is reach the payder three times to win a game. That's that's not that's not very hard to do. I played on special teams in the offense and averaged about 70 plays, 80 plays a game. You know, so we can go and score on special teams. One touchdown. The offense only need two, you know, Air Reed was almost guaranteed to take one to the house. So all we need to score is one on offense. You know, so we, we won a lot of games because our defense was so freaking good. You know, Cincinnati was always held back. I don't even know what truly stopped them but I just never felt like they had a defense that was so scary that it was going to keep you from scoring. When you went to Pittsburgh, you knew it was going to be a bloodbath. Yeah. You know, you you knew it was going to be a bloodbath. They they weren't afraid of us, we weren't afraid of them. There was a mutual respect that we was going to go hard and we used to set each other up. I felt like every game, all right, this is the player that's going to get knocked out first. Who going who want it? Who want it? Oh, I want it. Let me get him. Let me get him. <laughs> you know, it was that type of thing and you never had that mindset going into a sense. You know, you had them You went in like, all right, we got to go play fundamental football, play solid, don't turn the ball over, and we're going to score points when we get the opportunity to score points. You know, but I, I felt like they had, they had two receivers in Chad Johnson and T.J. Manzada That was, I felt like, like really elite. When, when T.J. came in, that made Chad that much better because now everybody couldn't focus on Chad one hundred percent. You know, and um, and you knew you was gonna get some comedy from them because Chad, <laughs> Chad, Chad was always into something, man. When I say he was always into something, he was always into something, and there was always gonna be some some paper stuck up on our bathroom stalls, you know, that was with, with, some, with something that Chad Johnson had done said, man. So it was it was funny, man. But it was it was great times, man. It was really a great time for football for us, and that was back when football was really football, where concussions weren't even a thing, you know. Everybody played through a concussion. Everybody got a concussion, and nobody even knew what it was. We just said, "Oh, we're a little dizzy." We back in the game, and we keep going.
1: Wild times, and I feel like the 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 transition almost happened like after um, you exited the league because Mike Zimmer was Mike Zimmer was hired, but as the Bengals' defense coordinator, and then the rivalry between the Bengals and Ravens kind of really. Evened out throughout the 2010s. Now we're here mm-hmm. with, with with this new mm-hmm. look Ravens offense for, for the past few years with Lamar Jackson. It's forced right. the Bengals defense to evolve completely in order to stop it. And now we're here. This is the third matchup between both of these teams. And you have a third, potentially a third different quarterback starting for the Ravens in this game. And I almost yeah. feel a little weird asking this because obviously Tyler Huntley can't do some of the things that Lamar Jackson can do. But just from your perspective, what are the things that Lamar, or excuse me, Tyler Huntley can do under his own control to maybe improve off of the four or five starts that he had to finish the season?
2: Oh, I I think around the NFL, Tyler Huntley is probably the closest thing to Lamar Jackson. He's our backup quarterback. I feel like he can go somewhere else and start. I think he's a dynamic, you know, really phenomenal explosive type QB that can, you know, make some big plays with his legs. Um, I think the way our offense is set up is set up for Lamar to shine more than it is for Tyler. But Tyler can do every single thing. To me, you ask me, he can do almost every single thing that Lamar can do. Lamar is just, Lamar is like that one in every 10-year athlete. You know, like you only see that guy once every 10 years. The only other person I remember that reminds me of Lamar Jackson is Michael Vick. I
0: hmm. haven't
2: seen a Michael Vick before Michael Vick, and I haven't seen one after Michael Vick, but Lamar is the closest thing to Michael Vick. But you can't even call him Michael Vick because he's Lamar Jackson. That's how dynamic he is. Like, he's Lamar Jackson. So the next person that come around, they're going to be compared to Lamar, not to Michael. You know, and um, Michael Vick, was his career got cut short. So when you bring a guy like Tyler Huntley in off the bench, you don't have to change your offense at all. But one thing that I think that Tyler does really, really well is get the ball out of his hand, you know, fairly quick. You know, he does a better job at, to me than Lamar at getting the ball to the short routes like right now, right now, right now on a consistent basis. And I think once you do that enough, you know, corners start to cheat up. They they get tired of coming up to make that tackle, and then you can start hitting them over their head with some deeper stuff later on in the game. He just has to stay consistent with that and not get greedy throughout the game. And I think he could pull off pretty much any win that he wants to pull off. He's a dynamic guy. It's nothing like having a quarterback on the field that makes you feel like, you can win every game. That's what Lamar does. Lamar puts you in a situation where you feel like you can win every game. The reason why the Cincinnati Bengals are as good as they are because they got Joe Barrow. And when they go into those games, they know they can win every game because of Joe Barrow. He's going to keep them in the game. He's going to keep them in a situation where they get close to it at the end. He could put it off. He could pull up, he could pull a Tom Brady, you know, and that's what Lamar brings to the Ravens. So without him being out there, you lose that element, you know, you lose that element. When we had – when I was in Baltimore, those two, three years when we had Kyle Bowler, he was our starter. He was the best quarterback on the team. We went into every game feeling like, oh, shit, I don't know about this. <laughs> you know, but then you get somebody like Steve McNair come in, right? And then the whole complexion of the, of the, of the team and the, the way that we think and everything changes. You're like, oh, my God, we, 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 we could probably win every game. Every game. And every game you fight to win. The Ravens have they, – they they started the season off really well, and then they lost – they lost probably four games this year that they shouldn't have lost. And it was due to defensive situations, you know, you know miscommunications, new D coordinator issue with Mike McDonald, and just trying to get, you know, settled down and just trying to get everybody healthy and back on the field. You know, bad – clock management or mismanaging calls or mismanaging plays or going for it on fourth and when they should have, you know, it just it was dumb stuff early on that cost them the game. And I really felt like it was due to coaching, not, you know, quarterback play or not, you know, player play. I just felt like coaching had to be better for the Ravens to get better. And um I felt like the coaching have started to evolve and they've came better. They've came around and defense has actually been playing outstanding the last six or seven mm-hmm. weeks. And um I love to continue to see that if they're going to have – if the Ravens are going to have a chance to win this game, they're going to have to shut down, you know, the receivers and Cincy and they're going to have to shut down Joe, Joe Burrow. You know, and they're going to have to let Mixon know, like, hey, we got some linebackers that are going to come hit you right now. You know, so if, if you're going to win this game, that's what it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be – it's going to have to be a hundred percent effort on all three phases of the game, offense, defense, special teams. we got to control the field possession battle on, on, on special teams. And then on, on defense, we can't let those, we can't let Jamar Chase and company just go, you know, bananas on us. And we got to really contain Joe Burrow. We got to really frustrate him and put some of those dynamic blitzes. We used to run back in the day, those fire zones and, and really confuse him to make him, you know, second guess his throws, hold on to the ball, spit second longer, just so I could lineman can get to him. You know, um, I guess y'all didn't ask me all this. Y'all was asking me about Tyler no. Huntley, So I'm sorry, but
0: No, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah.
2: Tyler, Tyler, I, I think I really do believe that Tyler got a chance to, to come into this game and kind of shock some people. You know, if the defense plays like they've been playing and Tyler come in and he's really playing at a high level like he can, he could he could really surprise you.
0: Well, I, so I got kind of a two-pronged question with that then. Um, yeah. And by the way, we're talking with Daniel Wilcox, former Ravens tight end and current Believe in Ravens podcast host. Uh, I, my my 2 prong question here, I mean – you've and I think I think I believe you in a lot of ways when you say Tyler Huntley can do a lot of the things that Lamar Jackson can but the the proof in terms of what the Ravens have been doing in Lamar Jackson's offense is they're averaging about 16 17 points scored per game right Um, and so it's been on the defense to do to do kind of miraculous things almost to get them some of the the wins keep them afloat and get them into the playoffs here so I guess a couple of a couple of questions here I mean what what's going to be the key uh, for Tyler Huntley to maybe do some of those things that Lamar can do, but also have them score more points than they have been scoring. And then if you're, you know, if you're the, the Ravens, if you're the Bengals offense and you're trying to attack the Ravens defense, like, you know, they, they can shut a player down. They can shut a couple of players down, but where's right. the one area you kind of see is kind of the, the, the chip in the armor, so to speak, where the Bengals can kind of say, Hey, maybe, maybe try that uh, exploit that area right there. Cause they seem to be good at a, at a lot of different things on defense.
2: So for, for me, Tyler Huntley, he has to play likes out. He has to be able to read the coverages on point and understand that when they're in man coverage, that's the best time to scramble, scramble. Um, he has to take the scramble when he gets it. So he can put that added pressure on the defense and he has to throw the ball into tight windows without turning the ball over. It's going to be tight coverage. It's going to be hard. We don't have the top-tier receivers in the country right now. You know, we got a bunch of guys that people are trying to figure out who they are. And, hell, even the the receivers are trying to figure out who they are half the time. You know, so we got a bunch of guys that definitely need to continue to develop and get better and get better as the year goes on. And he's going to need help from those guys. He's going to need help from those second-tier, third-tier guys, those those second-level, third-level guys. The receivers are going to have to get involved. It can't be a hundred percent all Mark Andrews. Um, I think we have such a dynamic backfield that should allow them to be able to take some pressure off um, off them as well. I think if I was Baltimore and I'm coaching, I'm the offense coordinator right now. What I would do is I would probably go a lot of two tight end set, three tight end sets. You know, put one receiver on the field that I feel like could go hundred miles per hour every single play, and and rotate my receivers in and out one or two receivers, and then I would run the ball down Cincinnati's throat until they force me to have to throw the ball over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. In the process of doing that, I'm slowing down the clock. I'm keeping Joe Burrow off the field. I'm keeping I'm keeping all your receivers, all your big-time playmakers off the field. I know my defense is playing solid. I would almost go to a wing-T offense almost, basically what I'm saying, where you just slow the game way freaking down. And it's going to be boring as hell for everybody at home. But as long as we continue to get first downs, first down, first down, you got – you got really good running backs and, and J.K. Dobbins, you know, King and Drake has been playing, you know, balls out all year long. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got big boy Ricard back there. Nobody wants to hit a 300-pound D-lineman fullback, you know, every play. You put him back there let him pound on you, and then you put your, your your big tight ends in there and let them, you know, block up the edge and force those little DBs to come up and make tackles um, against your, your talented guys. I think I think you changed the game, and then you do a bunch of play action off of it too with the tight ends yeah. and stuff like that with Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely and – you know all those guys, man, and you, you kind of really put Cincinnati in the bind. You make them have to change their their, their defense. You know you got to bring some, take some of their best fast guys off the field and put some bigger guys out there just to compete. You know, otherwise you're running down their throat every play. But I think you have to do some stuff like that. Put an extra, an extra lineman in, go tackle over. You know that type of stuff, and um and that will really kind of solidify this game for you so if that's if i was an oc that's what i would do this week and still be able to run some of my rpo stuff and dump it to my tight end tight end dumps um screen passes you know all that type of stuff to kind of mix it up a little bit you know so but tyler he's he's going he can't turn the ball over this week if he turn it over this week you can hang it up you <laughs> can mm-hmm. freaking hang it up they will blow the likes off the freaking baltimore ravens if we turn the ball over it's going to be like the georgia tcu game you know, Cincinnati's going to be Georgia. The Ravens are going to be TCU, you know, so we got to definitely, I think, slow the, slow the game down, keep their offense off the field and put us in a situation where we're going to win. Um, our defense is playing so good right now. If they can play even better this week, which they should, you know, it's a playoff game. You know, the the, the atmosphere is just different. It feels different on a playoff game. Like, it, it gives you a difference, like, a different kind of energy when you get ready to go into a playoff situation. Um, and it's, it's so electric, you know, it's such an electric a- atmosphere and it just makes you want to play. And, and then this is free money. <laughs> it's free money. It's not money that you count on your taxes, you know? Mm-hmm. So when you get this check, it's like, all right, what y'all, y'all want to go? <laughs> you tell your wife, Hey babe, we're going trip you always want to go on this first round going to play for it, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, man, where you, um, you 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 feel different going into this game and the atmosphere is so electric and it's so fun it's going to be on primetime television and you playing you wouldn't want to go against a better component than the cincinnati Bengals right now you know you won one game they won one game all right this is the tiebreaker all right let's set it off
1: so i guess this is the this is the time to say are they going to get that tiebreaker how do you see this game going out or were you surprised i guess by how the how well the ravens are running the ball or is that more of your expectation do you see that continuing how do you see this game going out man
2: I feel like we're going to get our butts whooped. That's how I feel. I haven't said it all year. I'm hundred percent raving all year long, every game. If we don't, if we don't go into this game and, and I mean, this has got to be one of those games. It's like, I used to play private school ball when I was in high school. Right. And we was always the the more talented team. I mean, we had more athletes than they had. We had better, bigger athletes than they had, but it was like you would go over there and play them and they never made a mistake. We have to be that private school this this week. We cannot make a mistake on offense or defense. It can't be no busted coverage, no miscommunications. Special teams, we got to we got to earn and win that field position battle. Pin them down in the red zone on the punts and the kicks, you know. And then don't let them don't let them go ninety nine yards. We got to find ways to you know get turnovers and picks on defense. And those picks got to turn to pick six. We got to cause fumbles and script the ball every opportunity we got so that we can we can keep their offense off the field. We really got to disrupt their timing on our defense and we got to be aggressive. We got to be extremely aggressive and we got to play good on the back end. We got two of the best corners in the league, you know, let them earn their checks this week, you know, putting them on the corner man to man and everybody else. Let's go get out today. Let's go get out to these guys, man, a hundred percent. So um, I don't, I don't see this one turning out good. If we have, we had Lamar, I'd be like, all right, <laughs> y'all better to get your ass, sense, but <laughs> we, we don't have Lamar, man. So I, when we don't have your, to me, he's that, he's the X factor that that makes people be scared right now for Baltimore. I feel like our defense is good, but they're not terrifying people like they used to. Like back in the day, you could hit somebody so hard, you knock their helmet off, and it's a wrap. You remember the game when Chad came, tried to, you know, Chad came across the middle and, and Ray Lewis hit him on that slant route? And Smacked knocked, him. Knocked his helmet over to the sideline? You know, that type of stuff you can't even do no more. You know, so it's like who's really afraid to go inside or go across the middle anymore because you can't even hit people the same way you used to be able to hit them? you know, but you wouldn't come across that middle at all with Ray Lewis and company and Bart Scott in the middle, you know? So I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like our offense is the scariest part of our, of our team. And without you, without your star guy, you know, I don't think anybody's afraid of the Ravens offense without Lamar out there.
0: Talking with Daniel Wilcox, uh former Ravens tight end and current believe in Ravens podcast host. Uh, one more question before we get out of here and, and hear about your show, where to find it, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you you won a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yes, you right. went. You mentioned the conference championship game that you went to under Harbaugh in uh, the, his his first year with the Baltimore Ravens. Just mm-hmm. can you just kind of walk us through just how arduous and how difficult it is to not only number one get to and win a Super Bowl, but number two whether it's with the same team, a different team, how how hard it is to get back to the Super Bowl because uh, <laughs> you have you have experienced both. That's a great um, and, question. you know, so I, I, I just from a, you know, from us dopes that sit on the couch and and think we know everything to a guy like yourself that is bright and has been there done that. I would love to get that perspective in terms of how difficult that that truly is.
2: That's that's a great question, and um, so I, I can give you one story right now, real quick. Um, my rookie year in the league, I was with the New York Jets. Herman Edwards was a rookie year head coach. Um, I had three rookie head coaches throughout my career, my eight-year, mm. my nine-year career. So I had Herman Edwards in New York. I had John Gruden, who was his first year the head coach at Tampa. Then I had John Harbaugh, my, his rookie year in um, in Baltimore. When I was sitting down, we had, I, after I made the team as a rookie in New York, I remember Herman Edwards sitting down in the, in the team meeting room, and he stood up in front of the whole team, and he had put up on the board And he was talking about making the playoffs and our projections, what we want to do this year as a New York Jets franchise, as a team. And I remember Herm saying, hey, guys, I want to do something real quick. If you ever been to the playoffs, stand up. And it was about, I'd say 75 guys, I'd say maybe 20 guys stood up, went to the playoffs. He was like, all right, you ever been to the second round of the playoffs? Stand up. say about 10 guys stood up. Then he said, you ever been to, anybody ever been to the Super Bowl? Nobody stood up. And then he was like, anybody wow. ever win the Super Bowl? Nobody stood up. Mind you, I got Vinny Testaverde on the team. We played 20 years. This, this was year mm-hmm. 18 for Vinny, you know? And it's like, dang. Like, nobody, the whole team, yeah. nobody ever been to a Super Bowl? Ever, You know, I went in my second year because I ended up getting picked up by Tampa. And we went to the Super Bowl and won it, you know? And you was playing with such a dynamic cast of guys, you don't realize like how amazing this is. Like Booger McFarland, you know, Warren Sapp, Greg Spires, Simeon Rice, Derek Brooks, Shelton Quarles, Nate Webster, Al Al Singleton, freaking Runday Barber, John Lynch, um, Brian Kelly. You know, like it was such a, a dynamic cast. Dexter Jackson was a Super Bowl MVP, our star in safety that went to Cincy. You know, mm-hmm. he went and play for since. Webster. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Nate Webster came over, too. Um, and so when you started to think about, like, how dynamic of a situation that was, it was like, wow. You know, then you get to, you know, Baltimore and they had won one the year my senior year at college. They won in 2000, you know, so they the Ravens had already won. So a lot of those players on that team had already been to the playoffs and already been to a Super Bowl, you know, and won one at that, you know, so then we fought. The 5 years I was there, we really thought we had a really good chance. The year that Steve McNair came in and we thought we was going to make it and we end up having the first round by cuz we played so well. And then we we came back kind of stale after the first round bye, didn't score a touchdown at all. We end up losing to Peyton Manning and company. You know, um I think we played we lost in Baltimore and we were, we it was only field goals. They only kick field goals, we only kick field goals. Matt Stover never misses. He missed one or two that game and we lose by 6 points. You know, it was mm-hmm. crazy. And yeah. then my, my last season, you know, I'm like, man, this is finally my opportunity. You know, we got Joe Flacco in Flacco was not supposed to be our starting quarterback that year. You know, Steve McNair was our starter um, behind Steve McNair. Kyle Bowler was our number two behind Kyle Bowler. The Heisman trophy winner, Troy Smith was our number three. Mm-hmm. And then we had just drafted Joe Flacco. He was literally number four on the depth chart that year. Steve McNair came. He didn't like the way Harbaugh was treating us. And he was like, bro, I already – he was coming off a of shoulder surgery, another shoulder surgery. He was like, I already know how this is about to go. I'm done. He hangs it up in training camp and says he retired. All right. Kyle Bowler t- tears his shoulder up in training camp, has to have surgery. Troy Smith, freak incident, caught a blood clot in his lung, lost about 100 pounds. He was literally – by the time the season started, he lost like 100 pounds in like two weeks. Oh, my God. I'd never seen anything like it before. Like he could He couldn't even throw the ball – from here to the camera, where I'm at right now, that's how weak he was. We thought he was going to die. It was nobody knew what was going on. Like we didn't know about a blood clot being in the lung, none of that. It never heard anything like that before. He didn't get back to full strength until like maybe week nine, week ten of the season. Like, that's how long it took him to recover. And Then Joe Flacco ended up having to start his first game as a as a rookie, as a rookie quarterback in the NFL. And I remember Cam Cameron said, "Hey, I need you guys to step up." You know, we're gonna need you guys to be a great supporting cast for Joe. I mean, he had me, he had Todd Heap, he had Willis McGahee, he had Lorenzo Neal, he had Lamont Jordan. I mean, not Lamont Jordan, um, freaking 33. What's my boy 33 name? Um, uh, LaRon McClain. LeRon McClain, yeah. McClain yeah. had just came in, we had just got Ray Rice. You know, yeah. we were stacked, you know, like as, as an offensive front, we looked really, really, really freaking good, and then we still had Derrick Mason. Uh, Mark Clayton, that receiver, you know, we had a really good supporting cast, Demetrius Williams. I think we had brought in Harper. I think he went to Virginia Tech at the time. you know he was a big receiver out of virginia tech we we, we felt like we were stacked. we was in a really good situation. and Cam Cameron said we're gonna take our offense down ten to fifteen plays per game, and we're gonna all work around with Joe Schrinzar get the balls out of his hands quick, but we're gonna hire, we're gonna rep, we you know rely heavily on the run game. That's why Laron McClain, with his McGee had such dynamic years that year they was freaking lighting up every freaking team we played against those two yeah. guys. And we had a stellar offensive line, you know, um, Jonathan Ogden had just retired, but we still had Zeus Orlando Brown. His son is now playing, you know, in the league right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Marshall Yonda, you know, who mm-hmm. retired a couple of years back, who's ended up being a, probably going to be a hall of famer, you know, guard, yep. you know, I mean, we we were stacked. We were really stacked. We really were. We had a really good team and thought this was going to be our year. And we almost won every game. <laughs> It was crazy. We almost won every game. We make it to the AFC championship and we really thought we was going to win that game, man. And, you know, and, and Pittsburgh found a way, you know, they did what they do best. They found a way just like we did. We always found a way. They found a way one more time than we did that game and ended up pulling it out and they won the Super Bowl that year. So it's, it's, it's extremely, this, this, this whole football thing goes by so fast and your mom tell you when you're a kid, anything that you're having fun doing is going, it's going to go time flies when you're having fun. Right. Um, football is such a dynamic sport and it takes up so much of your time and it, and it, and it forces you to put so much of yourself into it that, um, you don't even realize like the moments that you're in, like those little moments when something spectacular happens. Like when Ed Reed picks one off, you know, eight yards deep in the end zone and returns it 108 yards and you're sitting on the sideline, like, Oh my God, he <laughs> just do that. And you really just saw so it number with the play. You're right. not even thinking about like how special part of history this really is, you know. Like this is an amazing experience. Like us losing that game with the with the with Santonio Holmes with the toe tap and the fingertip catch in the back corner of the end zone from Roethlisberger, you know it, it it trips you out. You know, you know when, when freaking Chad Johnson goes in and try to blind blindside Ray Lewis and we all on the sideline laughing. Barry, did you see? Did you just see Chad try to blindside Ray and get it get his block knocked off? You know what I'm saying? And he comes back yeah. over to your smile line with gold teeth on the top and the bottom, and he like <laughs> he's smiling at you. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's just man, it's it's too funny, man. Like you just look back on some of these moments. It's so nostalgic and such an amazing, you know, time to be able to play the game of football that the game we love so much, man. And um, I was I was one of the few blessed to get a chance to go to that Super Bowl in year two because if I didn't go then, the rest of my season I never had a shot. You know, so the guys that get an opportunity to go. Like Joe Burrows and company that went last year, that's a tremendous feeling. To think that he can go in year one, he about to pray to God he get a second chance because he didn't get a chance to pull that win out. And it's just I mean, what do you say, man? You know, what do you say? You're blessed to go year one. And if you don't go back again, you're gonna, it's gonna hunt you the rest of your life. Yep.
0: Well, find a way is what is what you said there in the Bengals got to find a way and the Ravens got to find a way without Lamar Jackson this week. Uh, Daniel, this is, this has been awesome, man. I, I hope, um, I, you know, if you're, if you're, I hope you're still going to be with Believe next year. And if so, we yeah. would love to have you back for more rematches and all kinds of stuff, man. This has been, this has been awesome. Tell us about your show. I'm going to pull up the screen. I'm going to share the mm-hmm. link to it. Um, tell us about your show, uh, your co-host when you go live, where people can find it, all that good stuff.
2: Well, you can find our our show the believe, believe in the Ravens podcast. You can find it on any any freaking podcast app out or whatever it may be. It's everywhere. You know, it's Spotify, Apple Music. It's all, it's on everything. Wherever you go, you can find it. Um, it's Believe in the Ravens podcast. It's myself, Daniel Wilcox, and Bo Smoker. He's a reporter in Baltimore, so he has the kind of the inside scoop. You know, he's in the locker room every day. He's at the practice field every day. You know, at, at the games and. You know, Bo does a phenomenal job. You know, hosting the show, and I mean, it's it's fun. You know, it's kind of it, it, the whole show is kind of based off what we just did just now. You know, where Bo asks a bunch of questions and we talk football. He kind of gives you the rundown of stats and who's doing this, who's doing what, and then he asks me some real questions about a player's perspective in those situations. And I get a chance to share those perspectives. And a lot of times, it comes out kind of cool. Sometimes it comes out, I right, you know. But then, mm-hmm. when every now and then you get a gem or you get a little bit of a nugget. That makes you smile, man. It makes you realize, like, dang, that's that's got to be pretty dope. And one of the things that John Harbaugh used to always say that used to trip that used to trip me out was, "Who's got it better than us?" Uh, you know what uh, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's and it's funny, man. Like you, that, that's that, him and his bro, right? They both, yeah. do that, right, yeah.
0: yeah, 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 yeah you no, know,
2: they yeah. got it from his dad. You know, his dad yeah. um, coach used to coach at Western Kentucky. I actually, I think I beat his dad in the playoffs when I was at App State. Nice. You know, yeah. So we won that game. We went up to Western Kentucky. But I mean, it's one of those things, man, where there's moments in the NFL. You feel like nobody got it better than you. And then there's moments you feel like, man, y'all can have this crap. You know what I'm saying? I'm out. <laughs> you know, because it, it has it, it's it's like a double edged sword, man. Like it has this amazing moments. And then it has these moments where you, you actually contemplate and, like giving it all up. Like, I don't know if it's worth it. You know, so the, the things that it does for your family, are the things that make you feel like, all right, I'm in the greatest organization in the world. And then those moments when you have that shield on and you go somewhere and the way people treat you with that shield on makes you feel like you're like you're some kind of magical creature or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And when you when you lose that shield, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make you feel that great when you when you once you leave that thing and you don't get that same love, that same respect, that same affection that you get when you when you play though. So, but it's awesome, man. I appreciate you guys having me on, John, Anthony, both of you guys, man. Um, good luck this week, man. And you know, if, if if it's meant for Sensi to get it, you know, I'm sending love and blessings and I want to keep it in the AFC. So if y'all beat us out, then I'm praying for y'all to win the whole thing. Let's go.
0: I appreciate it, man. This has been seriously awesome. I've, I've, like I said, before we took the air, respected your career for a long time. Definitely a uh, pleasure having you on and next year, man, regardless of the outcome here next year, I hope we can, we can have you on and do this thing again.
2: Hey, I got all this podcast equipment. Don't let me waste it. Let's go. Uh, I won't.
0: I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks,
2: Daniel. Take care, man. No doubt. Thanks for having me gentlemen. All right. Thanks, Daniel.
0: That was Daniel Wilcox, uh, former Ravens tight end, believe in, Ravens podcast host what a guy dude. That was awesome. Um, asked for 20 minutes and we got like double that. I hope I hope we didn't screw up the schedule there, but um John, that was that was killer, dude.
1: Yeah, those believe dudes, they're great storytellers. Maybe, maybe that's why they're employed there. I don't know.
0: yeah, like 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 you like you, great storytellers. We're gonna be here a little while longer. Uh, you're gonna answer a couple of listener questions uh, to tack on a little bit of, of a bonus on this episode here. Man, that was, oh, I, I don't know, dude. I'm like, I, people know I'm like, I'm kind of a history guy. Like, uh, you know, especially football history, AFC North history. I just, I don't know. You hear all those names. I'm like, LaRon McLean. When have I used the name LaRon McLean ever on this show? It's just, uh, you get nostalgic about that kind of stuff. Or at least I do. Yeah. Blast in the past. I forgot who that even was. So, uh, what you gotta, you see a couple of questions here. You want to get to on any of the live chats or anything?
1: No, and I'm very disappointed. No one has a freaking question about the AFC wildcard play playoffs. Like, what's going on here? You, you guys just know everything, huh? You don't need us. You don't need us to answer any questions. No, nothing? Nothing? Not else. a single I do, question?
0: I see this one, though. Uh, do we even want to go this this down this route again oh uh, from, from Joe? Uh, I don't well, we know, man.
1: Uh, what, what, what are we? Fortune tellers? I don't know if there's going to be personal <laughs> fouls. Both teams are going to be mad. This is a division arrival, maybe.
0: Maybe it depends on if it gets crazy chippy. Uh, I you know, and there's going to be some blatant stuff. But I mean, they let a lot of stuff go last week. There was, I mean, there was some stuff that that could have been ticky tack calls or any of that. But that that could have been something where you go, well, I, you know, one of those could have been called. A couple of those could have been called, I guess. But uh, I don't, I don't anticipate necessarily a lot of personal fouls this week. I expect this to be a emotionally energized game that I will, uh, I will get, I guess I will put it that way.
1: Yeah. Hopefully not any in the last two minutes after a fumble, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, cool, cool. The tempers a little bit. If the Bengals are on defense a little bit, uh,
0: I, we got a, uh, let's see, did we get a text? Um, so we got one, uh, from nine Oh one. I think this is from our, our boy, uh, Dan, Uh, It seems we have abandoned the running game. Are you worried about the lack of rushing yards going into the postseason, John?
1: A little bit. They couldn't run the ball against Baltimore, so there's no real reason to just run it up the middle for a yard or two every single time if it's not working. Baltimore was really good in setting the edge this past weekend and just clogging up the middle, which is the opposite of what the Bengals did uh, when the Ravens were on the field on offense. It was a very shocking part of the game how they couldn't run the ball against the Baltimore defense that isn't necessarily that's not necessarily the strength nowadays. Like when they finish the season as a not so good team defending the run and they couldn't generate any movement. That's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch for now that you have a new right guard in there with the keyman energy. You have athleticism and on that side of the offensive line, but can they get pushed? Can they generate movement against the likes of Jason Pierre Paul and Calais Campbell and guys like that? So if it's not working, there's no reason to just run it up for a yard or two a game when you have Joe Burrow, a quarterback
0: you i i've i've kind of been the you know the the guy that always preaches offensive balance and all that kind of stuff i, I don't know that you're gonna need to you know be a, a, a you know ground and pound and joe mixon gets 25 to 30 carries and needs to crack 100 yards that sort of thing you're just gonna need to keep this defense honest in some in some form or fashion you're gonna need to keep them honest because if they just stop the run stop the run stop the run and you pass the ball you know you're forced to pass the ball 45 plus times i, I like The ball in Joe Burrow's hands, obviously. But like you said, John, with that, with with two new starters on this offensive line or new wish starters on this offensive line and this defense being what it is, that becomes a a little bit more precarious of a situation than I would, (laughs) I would prefer. So again, I don't think, I, I think it just, it's not, you know, a high volume of carries, a high volume of yards. It's just, Knowing when to run and being effective with with the runs that are that are called, and whether that's mix and whether that's P Ryan, I don't know, but that's you're just gonna need to get you know three, four yards instead of one. You know, you're gonna need to get, you know, if you do run it on first down, getting that six-yard carry on first down to set you up for a, a second and four and give you options, a third and two, that sort of thing, instead of third and sevens, third and eights. I guess it's cliche to say all of that, but uh, it, it's just really, it's not about the volume for me. It's just about uh, the the quality over quantity, I guess, when it comes to the Bengals being able to run. And I am a little bit worried about it.
1: No, that's well said. And I feel like it ties into this question we got from Matthew. He's asking, what do you guys think? Uh, Brian Callahan, and Zach Taylor are hiding up their sleeves. Given that they weren't really showing their hand in the second half, I feel like a lot of that is actually the running game. And the fact that we didn't see that much of it against Baltimore, I feel like there's concepts that, They're going to roll out there just because you have new offensive linemen uh, on the right side of your line. Maybe that changes what you can and can't do in terms of running more zone and stuff like that. So I think we're going to see more of a balanced attack because I think the running game was going to be a little bit better. But again, it remains to be seen. Like I I didn't really do that much of a deep dive in the concepts they did and didn't use it. It did seem a lot similar to the week five game when they were still really finding themselves on offense. And maybe we'll see some more explosive passing options down the field, but Again, like I feel like it, the the new right guard definitely changes things, and and whether or not Max sharp can can generate movement is going to be an interesting thing to watch. I
0: don't, yeah, I don't really know exactly. Like, hey, this is this is going to be the game plan, but and I know we talk about how they kind of went a little more vanilla on offense and all that kind of stuff, uh, kind of late in the game last week. But John, like, even when they did and they were running kind of go routes and this, I mean, there were still shots there. Yeah. And points on the board there with what they were running last week so I, I while I think they may get a little more elaborate and do different things and and obviously try and get more out of the run game I mean I wouldn't be surprised to see some similar stuff called uh because they I mean it, it they had big plays available to them and some of which were in the second half that would have scored touchdowns so I yeah I mean I uh I i I would not be surprised if we see at least a few of those similarities, even though the game plan was, quote, unquote, vanilla last week. We got a call on the line. I think it's from our buddy uh, Terrell hanging on the line. Terrell, what's going on, bud? Hey,
2: guys.
0: We're doing all right, man. How are you? Wildcard weekend. I uh, know, man. I'm not i school.
2: I'm not good, but, uh, but I had a kid. That's a bad night. That was a really good interview. Like, that was a good time. Like, good. Like, good. <laughs>
0: Uh, we're having a, I, did you hear him, John? I'm having a little trouble hearing him. No, it sounds like he's in the tunnel. Yeah, hold on,
2: hold on. I was just saying, that's a really good uh, interview by Daniel
0: Wilcox. Really good energy by who?
2: Really? Hold on.
0: <laughs> we'll get him back in a sec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was
2: saying, uh, that was a really good interview by Daniel
0: Wilcox. Oh, oh, thanks, man. Appreciate that.
2: And, uh... I was going to say, uh, yeah, man, I just got to say, though, they got to just, they got to run the ball and try to find a way to run the ball, stay focused, and, um, uh, let Burrow be Burrow, and, um, just keep everybody healthy, you know what I mean? Yep. And, uh... I got it, and I got when I was. Um, I don't know if you heard me. I was saying that was a really good interview by David Wilk. So that's what I was trying
0: to say. Oh, I appreciate that. Appreciate that, man. Appreciate you, hey, Terrell. I, and uh, hey, are, are you going to the game this weekend?
2: I was trying to tell John. John, man, when Jason Kelsey retired, man, we need him as the head coach. like for real. <laughs> you and need- I'm and I'm feeling and I'm feeling his uh his rap cover songs too. And y'all have a good Y'all have a good day here, who
0: day. All right, take care, man. Thank you um John did it surprise you that Daniel Wilcox said that he thought that the Ravens were going to get smoked I I I mean usually the 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 people come in here they cover the other team and us too we kind of we kind of put on our homer hats a little bit we try and be as objective as possible but like you know since Terrell referenced what we Wilcox since we just talked to him did it I was like surprised as hell that he said that he thought that the Bengals were gonna kind of walk through this one a little bit i I don't necessarily agree with that assessment, regardless of who's playing quarterback, but um, just because I, I think the Ravens are tough and it's tough to beat a team, uh, you know, another time this year, next well, time. He,
1: he was, you know, singing the praises of Tyler Huntley all throughout the show. And it's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like uh, he's going to be competent. The Ravens going to have a chance. Nope. Bengals just molly them. What, what, what did Terrell say about Jason Kelsey? I couldn't hear him.
0: Uh, I think he said something about him maybe becoming a coach or, or uh, something. Uh, That'd be nice. Uh, yeah yeah uh so uh there let's, let's see any others that we want to get to here i know we've uh gone long because of the the interview and stuff that was that was awesome though um i didn't i haven't looked at the other the other platforms did you see any um, others
1: i did not see any in the CJ thread we just sent another from from matthew here on youtube he's asking about a potential big dax hill game coming up with oh like yeah yeah uh, I don't think there is a big Dax Hill game until he takes over for Jesse Bates next season. Spoiler alert. Um, We saw in this past game, he had a handful of snaps in the slot and he was lined up against the rookie tight end, Charlie Kohler and Kohler caught a ball on him and it was really perfect coverage from Dax, but that's just the reality when you have a 6'5", 250 pound human against a 6'2", 200 pound human, no matter how perfect the coverage is, if you don't get a hand on the ball, like the guy just has a size advantage and that's just... That's how it's going to work if the pass is somewhat accurate. So Mark Andrews, Isaiah Likely, Charlie Kohler, these guys are big and they're fast. And it's really hard for someone significantly smaller like Dax Hill to
0: man up on him. I'm going to steal something that I saw on Twitter and use it for our benefit, I guess, on this show. And that was someone just basically kind of tweeted out, I'm going to be so sad when Bates, Pratt, and P. Ryan are all gone after this season uh, in free agency. Do you agree with that? Do you think all three are gone or do you, I mean, I think we're saying we're seeing unfortunately the writing on the wall and it with Bates, and that's especially unfortunate because of, you know, the game he just had literally last week. But uh I mean, do you see all of those players being gone? I know it's I know they've got a lot of people to kind of resign and other contracts to hopefully extend.
1: Yeah, I forgot the P Ryan was a free agent. Um, I would imagine it wouldn't take that much to bring him back so long as he wants to be back, and that's another thing here. Like you're going on two uh, potentially deep playoff runs back-to-back, there's the factor of, hey, do you, does anyone want to take a slight discount to just kind of keep the band back together or just keep things going, M- much like what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have done. But as far as Bates and go, I feel like that's the safest to to assume are going to leave just because Pratt has kind of outpriced himself for how great of a year it's been, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. He He's earned what he's going to get on the open market, but I feel like linebacker is never really a, a position where the Bengals really you know, drop the bucket for unless it's for maybe Logan Wilson who takes a little bit less uh, compared to Pratt because of just the, the, the difference in how their seasons have kind of gone. So I, I would say Bates and Pratt are pretty much out the door at this point, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see PRM get back.
0: Yeah. Because you're looking at now, right? I, I think you mentioned it. You're looking at the mm-hmm. extensions for some of the the guys on offense too. So, um, yeah. you know, that's, that's going to be all part of the, the equation. I, I I find it hard to believe that all three would, would walk, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, At any rate, uh, any others we want to get to, but we're, we're coming up on a long, long hour here. Uh, It flew by talking with Daniel Wilcox. I just wanted to sneak in a couple of questions here. Any others you see that we want to get to before we bounce out, my friend?
1: Uh, No, just some, just some John Harbaugh hate earlier when, <laughs> um when Daniel was talking I didn't, guys, I didn't want to put that up i didn't want to put that up we we, we gotta be more respectful when when uh, <laughs> former players and guests are talking about people that they care about like i i understand that this is fandom but come on guys we, we want guests to come back we want them to feel welcomed and yeah may, maybe tone down some of the comments a little bit unless there are questions yeah. for us
0: or or wait till they exit you know, you can you can save that for when they exit, but that's okay. I understand. I understand the emotions, and I understand the emotions of the Harbaugh brothers in general when it comes to Ohioans and uh, Bengals fans, etc. I, I get it, but uh, hey, he has a long track record of success. The Ravens have a long track record of success, even though they are a younger franchise in the NFL, and the Bengals got to derail their season coming up here on Sunday night in the wild card round so that's going to do it we had an awesome time chatting with former Ravens tight end and believe podcast uh host Daniel Wilcox as well as answering a couple of your questions we snuck a couple of those in John we did a lot this week my friend I asked a lot of you and I appreciate it appreciate your insights appreciate all your time and uh we we're gonna get back to it I guess this Sunday enjoy yourself you're going to the game yeah, enjoy yeah,
1: yourself, I'm, man. I'm rewarding myself by being there, and, and the Bengals have not lost in a long time in my presence. I'm not counting the Buffalo Bills cancel game, even though those technically lost in the standings. I'm, it didn't finish. Bengals looked pretty good in that one, so I'm feeling pretty good.
0: I I I hope so. I hope the streak continues for all of us. Thank you all for tuning in, submitting. Where's your Wood? Questions. I need to knock on it. Hold on. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. <clears throat> there there you go. go. Uh, submitting your questions and uh, downloading all the stuff this week. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. We've had an interview with Kenny Anderson. Uh, We had the guys from 410 Sports Talk on again. Uh, That was an entertaining chat for sure. Go check out their channel too. John and I made an appearance on that last night. And then of course we had Daniel Wilcox today and some listener questions as well as, Jim bringing you Andrew Whitworth on his show, Matt Minnick bringing the Coach Speak, Chalk Talk analysis, all of that. Hopefully, you have enjoyed it on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. You can find that on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio of the major ones and if you like what we do video wise you can subscribe to our youtube channel beneath john there and you see our little show icon in the bottom corner there go click that subscribe click the bell to be notified when we go live when new content is available and go give a thumbs up over to the cincy jungle facebook page as well where all of our podcast podcasts when we do live streams get uh get streamed there as well john have a good weekend my friend we'll uh we'll talk soon
1: we'll talk soon man